Friends, we're, we're leaving the series behind the ghosts of the Christmas past, and we're going to focus in on the Christmas story itself, especially the Christmas story from the vantage point of Mary. And so today's lesson is called A Disrupted Christmas, Mary. Uh, I want to ask you guys a question as we start out this morning. Have you ever won a grand prize in a contest that you didn't even know that you entered? You know, it's like somebody knocks on your door and they say, hello, Mr. Sweeney, congratulations. And, and my first reaction would be, well, thanks, but for what? I didn't even know I signed up for anything or any kind of a contest. I think that was what Mary was feeling when the angel Gabriel came to her. Today, I want to talk to you about the birth of Jesus from the vantage point of Mary. If you think about it, friends, Mary is in a very unique position. She is the only human being on earth who was present both at Jesus' birth in Bethlehem and also at Jesus' death on that cross in Calvary outside of Jerusalem uh, that fateful day. The Bible is also clear that Mary was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus. And so this entire event becomes miraculous and Mary was right in the center of it. Uh, the Apostles' Creed is a, a phrase, it's actually a value that has been developed by the church in the early centuries. It was a creed. Now, a creed means a set of beliefs. And so when they had the Apostles' Creed, anybody who was considered an orthodox follower of Jesus, this is what they would say to say, this is our faith, this is the summary of what we believe in our Christian faith. And the Apostles' Creed begins this way. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, who is the creator of heaven and earth. That's exactly what Paul said to the uh, philosophers on that hill in uh, Athens, Greece, when he was talking about God, introducing God to them. He was saying, God is the creator of everything, of heaven and earth. So I believe in that God, the creator. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Now, how did Jesus come into this world? He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. It was important enough for the apostles and the early church leaders to include that idea that Jesus was born into this world of the Virgin Mary. So let's talk about this disrupted Christmas that Mary experienced. I don't know about you guys, 2020, uh, but it has been a year of disruptions, right? Uh, economic disruption, health disruption, uh, also being an election year, racial unrest. Uh, it has been a disruption year for many, many people, including us. And it's not over yet. So maybe Mary, I'm sure that Mary could certainly relate to us going back to her first year when she was experiencing the Christmas season. Uh, her world definitely got turned upside down. And here's the thing, because Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel. This was the same angel who months earlier had come to uh, Zechariah, who was a priest while he was ministering in the holy place in the temple. And the angel Gabriel spoke to him and said, you're going to become the father of John the Baptist. The same angel Gabriel, months later, came up to Nazareth in Galilee, where this young teenage Jewish girl named Mary was uh, living. Now, Mary was a first century Jewish girl. 
by her family genetic heritage. Not only was she Jewish, but she was a direct descendant of King David. You can go to Luke chapter 3 and see the genealogy of Mary there. Uh, Mary was living this nice peasant life. I, I'm not saying it was an easy life, but she was living a nice, normal peasant life there in Nazareth, which was a small town in Galilee. Uh, she was engaged or she was pledged to be married to a carpenter or a stonemason, uh, a builder named Joseph uh, from her own town. And so Mary is engaged. She's anticipating married life with Joseph in a year or so. And during this time, this is when the angel Gabriel came and visited her. And this, this is the thing about angels. You notice this whenever angels show up to talk to a person in the Bible. Angels don't make appointments before visiting. They just show up. And they usually surprise and cause a lot of fear, at least initially, in the person that's receiving the angelic visit. I mean, the person is really caught off guard. So the angel Gabriel says to Mary, he says, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And of course, uh, any of you who are from a Roman Catholic background, you know that the, these are one of the, of the first words that are in the Hail Mary. It's a direct quote from Luke's gospel. And so Mary is trying to process all this. I mean, an angel from God is visiting her. And so she's probably a combination of a bunch of different emotions. She's surprised. She's amazed. She's confused. What does all this mean? She's scared. Why is an angel visiting me? And, and she's probably excited. And it's all rolled into to one big emotion. And so she's saying, okay, Gabriel, you're coming to visit me. You say I'm highly favored. God is with me. What do you want to say to me? And here is the angelic announcement from Gabriel. He says, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. In other words, Mary, Mary, you're going to be the mother of Messiah. You're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And he's going to reign forever. Isn't that exciting? And Mary's first thought is, well, this is amazing. But she says back to him, she says, but wait a minute. I'm a virgin. I have never been with a man. I'm pledged to be married to Joseph. Uh, but I, I don't quite understand what you're trying to say to me. Because uh, I don't know how I'm going to give birth to a son being a virgin as I am. And so Gabriel explains the miracle. Well, here's how the miracle is going to work. It's not going to be through Joseph or any other man. No other human being says the Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. It's not going to be natural means, Mary. This is an absolute miracle of God. And some, some people say, well, I don't know if I believe in the miracle of the virgin birth. I mean, Mary, really a virgin giving birth to Jesus? Uh, I don't know about that. If you believe that God created the heavens and the earth, and there are literally millions of galaxies out there, if he spun the stars into existence, if he put the earth on its axis and it's rotating around the sun, 
uh, 365 days a year. If every 24 hours this, this whole earth rotates a single degree, and yet God keeps all of that under control after creating it and now sustaining it, and the Bible says he upholds all things by the word of his power, then how could you doubt that almighty God could make a virgin conceive? In fact, he's fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy 700 years earlier where Isaiah said, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you will give him the name Emmanuel, God with us. So there's a, a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Gabriel's announcing, Mary, you're going to give birth to Messiah through the Holy Spirit. And if you want to see the deep faith of Mary, look what Mary says in response. She responds to the angel Gabriel. She says, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Now, that's really interesting. When Mary's life just got turned around, this is, this is what you call a pivotal moment in someone's life. <laughs> the angel from God, Gabriel, comes to her and says, Mary, you're a virgin. You're a good Jewish girl. You're going to be the mother of Messiah. God has chosen you. Congratulations. She says, I don't know if I signed up for this, but in humility, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May the words that you promised to me, may they be fulfilled. May God do what he wants to do in my life. So Mary is excited. Mary uh, could trust that her disrupted and uncertain future now, uh, she could give that over her disrupted life and the uncertain future, she could give it over to a sovereign God because she had the faith to know that God holds the future. That if this was going to be God's plan and Mary was going to be in the middle of it, then may the Lord's will be done. What an, an amazing demonstration of faith. And Mary, you see, Mary's going to have to keep on trusting God throughout this pivotal moment, throughout this pregnancy, because, well, let's just put it this way in human, in human terms. Mary had seen the angel. Mary had heard Gabriel speak to her. Mary had received the message of God, but no one around her had received that message, right? Joseph hadn't, hadn't received the message. Mary's family hadn't heard the angel. The community in Nazareth haven't, they didn't hear the message from the angel Gabriel either. And so the, one of the real tests of faith for Mary in the weeks and months ahead after she started showing, especially in her pregnancy, would, would her betrothed, engaged fiance, would Joseph believe her? Would her family believe her? And would the community around her in Nazareth would accept her? Well, the answer on Joseph, in the question about Joseph is, yeah, Joseph eventually did believe her, but it took him a while. And it actually took a moment for Joseph to have an angelic visit himself where in a dream he got a vision from an angel and the angel told him that yes this was a miracle and Mary really was a virgin and Joseph was to go ahead and marry her and he was going to be the human father of the Messiah Jesus and so we don't you go to the next question would her family believe her we don't really know how they responded to her we do know that mary went ahead with the wedding with joseph that joseph married her but the bible says he had no relations with her until after she had given birth to jesus and then the family and the community we don't really know how they responded either we do know that joseph and mary came back to live in nazareth 
But they didn't come back to live in Nazareth until at least a couple years afterwards because they went down to Bethlehem. They lived for a while in Bethlehem. And then there was the threat from King Herod that he was going to try to kill the baby Jesus. So they fled to the nation of Egypt and they lived for a while in Egypt until King Herod died. And then they went back to live in Nazareth. So, after, you know, it had been years that had passed when they finally rolled back into Nazareth with baby Jesus or with a young boy Jesus. You know, that's the thing about receiving good news in life. Mary certainly had received from some very exciting, life-changing good news for her life. She was going to be the, the mother of Messiah. She was going to be privileged to have a front row seat in the raising and the developing of the Savior of Israel and the world. So it was really good news for her, but I want you to know sometimes when we receive good news, good news doesn't always mean that life gets any easier, right? Because sometimes God's blessings bring greater responsibilities and challenges. Did you ever get a promotion and find out that, wow, I got this awesome promotion, but now guess what? Now you have more responsibilities. Now you have more work hours. Now you have more people to be responsible for in your sphere of influence. And now as a leader, now you're the target of more criticism. Or now that you have this promotion, well, guess what? Now you have to travel more. You're going to be away from your family. Maybe the corporation or the, co or the company even says, congratulations, you have a promotion, but you have to move to a new city. So some good news can actually bring some big changes and there are some unintended consequences that are hard to adapt to and to accept. That certainly was true to Mary. Now fast forward, fast forward to them now, Mary's eight or nine months pregnant. Uh, Joseph receives news that uh, the Roman world is conducting a census and everybody has to go back to their hometown and register and pay this tax to the Roman government. And Joseph, guess what? Well, Joseph is from the town of Bethlehem. At least that's where his, his genealogy comes from. His, his ancestors, his family lineage is from Bethlehem. So Joseph has to go down to Bethlehem and he takes Mary with him, right? So they travel south three or four days. They, they get down to Judea, to Bethlehem, which is called the city of David. Tradition tells us that Jesus was born there. And I, I'm going to say tradition tells us this because I have a slightly different view I'm going to share with you in just a moment. Tradition says that Jesus was born in a cave or a stable. Why? Why was he born outside in the middle of nowhere? Well, because there was, quote, no room at the inn. Means that, they, that no matter where, what doors that Joseph knocked on to try to find lodging for him and Mary so she could give birth in a more comfortable place, that everybody turned him away. There was no hospitality at all and no room in the inn, so they had to go out into the cold and into the wilderness and eventually find a cave. And if you watch even good movies that are, that are mostly biblical, even like the, the movie, The Nativity, which is one of my favorite Christmas movies, uh, it's it, according to that story and their spin that nobody offered the young couple any hospitality at all. Well, friends, today I wanna offer a different interpretation of that whole birth story. Uh, some of it is based on a great book by a biblical scholar. His name is Kenneth Bailey. He's written a book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. 
And this biblical scholar, not only uh, has he studied the Bible, but he lived in the Middle East for a number of decades. And so he understands Middle Eastern culture way better than any of us. And he would know what some of the cultural cues and, and norms and the patterns of behavior are from the Middle Eastern culture. And so he's writing from that perspective. What do we know about the birth of Jesus from the Middle Eastern cultural perspective? This is what Kenneth Bailey, this author of Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, this is what he believes on the, this is what he believes is more likely to have been the circumstances of Jesus' birth, right? Number one, Joseph was a descendant of King David. So that means that if, if he was going to Bethlehem, there, it'd be very likely that he would have family there. It would be likely that he would receive a warm welcome, that he would have some doors of hospitality open to him in Bethlehem. So there's point number one. Point number two is in Luke's gospel, uh, the writer says, while they were there. It doesn't say that uh, Joseph and Mary had barely arrived into the town of Bethlehem and all of a sudden Mary is in labor pains and they've got to find an immediate place to stay. It, it says, while they were there in Bethlehem, comma, the time came for the baby to be, to be born. That language implies that they had some time to make some arrangements for their lodging. The couple was welcomed more likely because of Middle Eastern hospitality and the idea that, um, that women about to give birth, they were given special attention. They, I mean, they, they had top priority and every village had some kind of a midwife. And so uh, Jesus, it's much more likely that, that this young couple was welcomed into a peasant home in a typical two-room peasant home. It had a lower level uh, it, where the door was. You went up a few stairs and it had an upper level and that was called the family room. That was where the family ate together and drank together and cooked together and where everyone slept in that family room. So two rooms in a, in a typical peasant home. And then on the lower level, at night, that's where the family would bring any of their livestock in, any of their farm animals. And that's where we get the idea that Jesus, you know, the cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, uh, but the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes, right? So we get this idea that there were farm animals around the baby Jesus when he was born. That could have taken place in this peasant home. So when it says they were, there was no room in the inn, uh, the, the best translation of that word inn is actually guest room or guest lodge. And so if a guest was visiting a typical peasant family there in Bethlehem in a two-room home, which was the most likely structure of the architecture, they would have slept in that lower room called the guest room. Well, if the guest room was filled up with guests or the guest room was filled up with animals, then there was no room in the guest room. So then it's more likely that Mary would have given birth surrounded by some of the village women there in Bethlehem with a midwife in the family room of a typical peasant home. That's what uh, I believe is the more likely scenario. Um, to turn away a descendant of David and his wife in Bethlehem in Middle Eastern culture 
uh, and especially when his wife is about to give birth and in a vulnerable state, that would have been an unspeakable shame for that village of Bethlehem. It's highly unlikely they would have done that. So it's much more uh, probable that this couple was welcomed into this typical peasant home and that Jesus was born into that home with a midwife and some village women around her. And then, of course, after he was born, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger because even in the family room, they had a smaller manger in the lower level for some of the animals. And then some of the larger animals would have had a, ma a manger or a feeding trough for the larger animals to stand up in and feed out of. And Jesus could have very easily been placed in that feeding trough or a manger. So let's go back to the, to the story. Friends, I can imagine that Joseph and Mary, you know, had time to think, had time to talk on that three or four day journey down to Bethlehem from Nazareth. I imagine they were talking together and wondering how this story is going to work out. Um, just trust God, Mary. Just trust God, Joseph. Um, my kids, I don't know about you, uh, but my kids have come up with a saying in the last few years. It's become very popular. They love to say this three-word sentence. They say, you know what? God's got this. God's got this, you know? And what does that mean? It's kind of a cultural phrase. It kind of means, you know, don't worry. Don't stress out. Don't be discouraged. God's got this. It's all under control. It's all going to work out. What I want to say to you is when we say in faith, God's got this, it doesn't mean that everything is always going to work out just the way you hope it does. I mean, for Mary and Joseph, their life was completely disrupted. They were to let God lead them to deal with and to overcome their problems as they came up. Uh, sometimes we try to say to ourselves, we try to encourage ourselves, or maybe you say it to somebody else in, an, in a way to try and encourage them. Hey, trust God. God's got this. Um, Sometimes uh, those words don't feel like they're enough. They don't feel like they really reach down into the place where we need God to communicate with us. There are days, I don't know about you, but there are days when I'll feel down or discouraged. Maybe there are days where you feel stressed or worried or sad. And do you still know those words? Do you still believe those words in times like that? What about in the times that we're living in right now in December of 2020, where there's an uncertain future with the economy, it's uncertain with the coronavirus and where it's going is still kind of uncertain with the outcome of the election. It's still somewhat uncertain. The anxiety levels, friends, they are on the rise in our culture around us. Uh, there's no question about it. And when that happens, we can be tempted to lose our hope. We can be tempted to lose our faith and trust in God. We can be tempted to have the joy just completely evaporate from our lives as we look around at our circumstances. Satan will attack us and tempt us in down times like this when life goes sideways. We're tempted to forget that God's got this, that God is sovereign, that he is actually in control. And he is working all things together for good to those who love him. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, friends, that person is you. God's got this for you. 
It says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, it says, In all things God works together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God's got this meaning. Life isn't all good all the time, but God is working all things together for good to you who love God and are called according to his purpose. So the, the real question as you're thinking about life being disrupted in this Christmas of 2020, a disrupted cri Christmas, is what are you being called right now to trust God for? If you were to say to yourself in your own life, your own family situation, your work status, God's got this, it would be a way of saying, Lord, Life is really topsy-turvy right now, but I believe that you are leading all things together for good. Your promise says, if I love you, then you're working all things together in my life for good. And I'm going to trust you for today, and I'm going to trust you for the future. And I'm going to leave that anxiety and that worry and that stress, and I'm going to leave it behind, and I'm going to say, Lord, you've got this. And if you really believe that, friends, if you really pray that, the promise in Philippians 4 for you says that, and the peace of God. So you pray about these things, you leave them in God's hands, you trust that he's got this. Then you say, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You can have the peace of God. You can leave all that worry and stress behind. You can say, just like for Mary and Joseph, Life was disrupted for them. They had curveballs thrown at them left and right, but they kept on trusting God that what he started with them in, in Mary being the mother of Messiah Jesus, of, of her having a healthy pregnancy all the way through, that wherever she found herself giving birth to Jesus, that God was there and he was in control and he was going to superintend things to work it out for their good and for his glory. Friends, that's what we're called to do. This, this first Christmas for Mary and Joseph was rough. Yeah, it was disrupted. They, they weren't even in their own hometown. They weren't even in Nazareth. They traveled uh, a long distance. Uh, Mary traveling at eight or nine months pregnant on the back of a donkey. That could not have been comfortable for anyone. I don't think it's comfortable if you're not pregnant. They were convinced that God had this. They were acting on faith. That at the moment that they had a need, that God would provide whatever they needed. Look at Mary's declaration of faith. You know, this is what Mary said. When she first found out that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, Mary traveled down south to visit her cousin Elizabeth. This was the cousin Elizabeth who was married to Zechariah, the old priest, whom the angel Gabriel had visited and said, guess what? You and your wife are going to give birth to John the Baptist right? The same Elizabeth. So Mary goes down and visits her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth says, wow, you are so blessed among women. Uh, I am uh, overjoyed. In fact, John, my, my son in my womb leapt for joy when he heard your voice. And this was Mary's declaration of faith. This is what she said in response to saying, uh, Mary, I'm so glad you're here. You're going to give birth to Messiah. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
You know, that wasn't pride talking. That wasn't like, you know, everybody writes on Facebook, you know, got, you know I've got this, I'm doing great here. Life's turning out awesome for me. Uh, too blessed to be stressed. You know, all this kind of stuff. Sometimes we put a false front. If, if, if you only knew people based upon what they posted on their Facebook or on their Instagram, you would think for most people that life was going good for them all the time. And that's a false image. Sometimes we project a false image trying to tell everybody how, how great life is going for us just to try to impress our friends it, rather than just being honest. I think Mary was being honest. She wasn't saying that I've got life all figured out. I think she was saying in humility, I am blessed. All generations will call, will call me blessed. Why? Because of all the women, of all the Jewish young women who were living in Israel at the time when God said, now is the time where I'm going to bring Messiah to be born in humbly in Bethlehem uh, to a virgin and to her husband, Joseph. Now is the time. And Mary was the one that God chose. He chose me, Mary said. I'm blessed. And he says, for the, she says, for the mighty one has done great things. Holy is his name. What an amazing promise of God. Think about that promise of God. It says that God's mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Can, can you imagine that, friends? God's mercy extends to everyone who fears him from generation to generation. Now, I don't know how many generations have been passed down from the time that Mary said those words 2,000 years ago, but I got to think it's a lot of generations. But God never runs out on this promise. Just like he says, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That promise is still in effect today. God's still building his kingdom and you can be part of it. His mercy extends to those who fear him. So the, really the question as you pause and you think about, wow, God's mercy can be extended even to me. Think about that promise of God. Where are you today? Where do you find yourself today on your spiritual faith journey with God? Are you ready to receive his mercy? Because mercy means that you get something that you didn't earn or that you don't get punished for something that you might deserve to be punished for. That's what God's mercy is all about. Uh, the Bible's very clear on this. Paul says in Romans, he says, the wages of sin is death. The consequences for our disobedience to God is death or spiritual separation from God. But then he says, but the free gift of God, something you can't earn, something you can't earn by religion. Christianity is not just any religion. It's not like other religions. Most religions of the world says, look, here's what you need to do. And if you do this, then you'll be right with God. The Christian faith says it's not what you do to get right with God. It's what Jesus has done for you. And, and when you put your trust in him, that's how you get right with God. His mercy extends to every generation. This is why Jesus came to us. This is why Jesus was willing to humble himself and become a human being and be born in Bethlehem. We're going to talk about the incarnation more in depth next week. But look what the author of Hebrews says. He says, Jesus is able to save completely all those who come to God through him. Why? Because he always lives to intercede for them. Do you think about the depth of Jesus' love for you, friend? 
that even now in heaven, it says Jesus lives to intercede for you so that someday in God's timing, that you would come to the realization and the understanding of, wow, God loves you. God has made a way for you to be in a right relationship with him through Jesus. And if you would humble yourself and just accept the free gift that God is offering you, that you can be in God's forever family. Have you ever wondered what to do? Have you ever wondered, okay, I want that. Maybe you're saying to yourself right now, I want that. I want to be in God's forever family. How does that process take place? How do I respond to this offer that God is offering me? Well, it's basically a three-step process. The, the process. You call it the ABCs of saving faith. A, the first step is you have to come to an understanding. You have to admit that you have sinned, that you need forgiveness, that you've violated God's holy standards for living and that those disobedient acts deserve to be fun deserve to be punished so you admit that you're a sinner you admit that you're in need of a savior that's just being honest with god so that's step number one step number two is be believe believe that jesus died to pay your sins why did he come to bethlehem as a baby so he could grow up to be a man so he could lead a ministry for three and a half years so that he could go into Jerusalem and lay down his life to pay for the sins for you and for me. If you believe that, you're on your way to saving faith. And then number three, to respond to that offer is you commit. You commit to make Jesus your forgiver and your leader. So the ABCs of faith, admit you're a sinner, believe that Jesus died to pay for your sins and commit your life to follow him. If you're ready to do that, friends, then we're ready to pray together and you can be part of God's forever family. You can be part of that Christmas story where, like Mary said, God's mercy extends from generation to generation, even to you all these years later today, right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for coming into our world so that you could be our savior. And Lord, today, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of all my sins. Today, Lord, I put my trust in you to save me and to bring me into God's family. Lord Jesus, help me to keep on trusting in you every day. Help me, to Lord, to trust when I'm afraid. Help me to trust in you when life gets really hard. Help me to learn that as I walk with you every day, Lord, that you are my shelter. You are my anchor in any storm I have to face. Help me, Lord, to experience the joy of my salvation through your Holy Spirit. I love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for loving me so much that you came to earth to offer me eternal life. And today I receive that eternal life into my heart and I put my trust in you and I lift all these prayers to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.